This is Jimmy Scroggins. I'm the lead pastor at Family Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. Are you tired of going to conferences, reading books, and listening to speakers who tell you how to do church when you know that you cannot do what they are recommending? You've come to the right place on our podcast. We're going to give you principles, strategies, and ideas that you can implement right now with the resources you have at your church because this is church for the rest of us. Welcome back to all of our listeners, and we're going to continue our conversation today with Coach Chris Hobbs from the King's Academy here in West Palm Beach, as well as Communications Director at Family Church, Leslie Bennett. And we're talking about the qualities of a good coach. That's right. We talked last time about being coaches, not bosses. So if we're going to be a coach and not a boss, we certainly want to be a good coach, don't we, Coach Hobbs? So we're looking forward to learning. Actually, both of you are coaches. Jimmy, you've coached (laughs) um, quite a few times. You're you're the son of a coach. So I think you both have a good handle on this. Well, let's start with Chris. Coach, uh, what are some of the qualities of a good coach in your experience? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've had the pleasure of spending a lot of time researching this through a lot of education. And so this would be a a combination of what I've researched versus applied to my own experiences. Uh, There's two things that research will always bring back, no matter how they study coaching uh, from a social science standpoint, two things always come back as qualities for a great coach. And the first one is that they're meticulous planners. If you've ever had a chance to read the book, The Messiah Method, uh, it's a business leadership professor's review of Messiah College men's and women's soccer. And they've won something like 16 NCAA national championships in the last 20 years. It's just an incredible empire dynasty, if you will. And that book has a lot to say about choreographing everything. And it speaks to how meticulously they prepare and plan. And so as I'm evaluating how good a job I'm doing leading my people, whether it's my athletic department or the direct team of student athletes that I coach, I'm always evaluating, hey, how prepared am I to lead them right now on a case-by-case basis? And then the second thing that always comes back in social science research in regards to great coaches is they intentionally teach their people to respond positive to negative circumstances Life is so very difficult. Uh, The book of Job uh, makes it really, real clear. Trouble is common to us all. Uh, And so I think the ability to respond positively, prepare your people to respond positively, and then lead them to respond positively when those negative circumstances show up uh, is maybe one of the more practical things a leader can think through because it's going to happen regularly. No question. And coach, I love the idea of meticulous uh, planning to applying to our listeners, mostly in the church environment, because a lot of times I feel like church leaders don't give enough time to planning, even planning their meetings, planning their events, uh, planning their sermons. One of the things that we've learned a lot about at Family Church is we now have started having meetings to plan meetings because if you don't, you know, you're going to bring in leaders and use some of their important time. You've got to have a plan for that meeting to make that meeting effective. And even I'm a little league coach, but even little league coaches need to have a practice plan. It may not be as detailed or sophisticated as someone who's doing it full time, but still the idea that if you're going to get people together and ask them to invest some of their life in what you're doing, you need to have a plan for that. So that idea of being meticulous is so viable. It actually shows honor to the objective as well as to the people who are chasing the objective with you. And I remember you talked about one-to-one planning. So one minute of planning for every minute of practice, which really impacted me. And when you think about what we do, like you said, Jimmy, with meetings and the things that we have, are we preparing 
if I'm having an hour and a half meeting, am I spending 90 minutes preparing for that meeting? I have to admit that probably usually not, yeah. um, but we probably want to spend a little more time than we normally do. Yep. Um, if you set that standard, I find so often uh, in my life in so many areas that I need to anchor myself to things that are more conservative or more zealous right. than I actually am because you always float from it. Mm. And so that one-to-one ratio is a really, really high standard. And if you're aspiring to meet that standard, if you're planning for 60 minutes for a 90-minute meeting, but you're aspiring to get to 90, it's you usually that effort and that principle uh, rather than a direct law that really will will prepare you to run. But whatever events. you're doing, it's going to be a heck of a lot better meeting right. if you've planned Absolutely. at all instead of planning on the fly during the meeting. Absolutely. Right. Yep. And so, and I love, because well, what's happened, Leslie, in our, in our church is I've started to notice in every area, everyone is now having get togethers of smaller groups to plan meetings for larger groups. Whereas I think in the past, we mostly planned at the meeting. And I think it's made us infinitely more effective as an organization, but it does take some time and investment. And then the idea of responding neg- uh, positively to negative situations, if if you're going to be a pastor, I mean, my gosh, you're going to have negative situations just constantly. People get upset with you, you make a mistake, uh, things go against you, just all kinds of things can happen. So that's really, really powerful. Let's talk a little bit about chasing the objective. Yeah. So in regards to chasing the objective, um, one of the things that you've got to do is you've got to, we said this in our our first time together, that you've got to clearly state that objective. Mm -hmm. And so whatever the objective is, and we could use a variety of terms, mission would be this overarching idea that drives your church or your organization. Then your vision would be, hey, how are we going to make that happen? Here's what this will look like over the next three, five, even 10 years. Uh, but, But those things, once you've got those things fleshed out, you really need to think about, hey, how regularly are we communicating at? I really think when it comes to to mission and the vision, uh, you're either over communicating it or you're under communicating it. There is no in between. And so when I begin to create an objective, a mission, a vision for the groups of people that I'm leading, I will, I'll put it everywhere. I'll send people text messages, letting them know, hey, listen, I saw this the other day and you absolutely are making mission in our athletic department of an excellent athletic experience with eternal impact. Or when we have an offensive philosophy, when I'm coaching my boys, right? Uh, We've got three simple goals in our offensive philosophy. Our offense has to look like these three things all the time, no matter what we're doing. I repeat that over and over and over again. And so when they start to roll their eyes at me, whether it's in my coaches' meetings or my players, you know, or my children, right? I've got I've got a mission, I've got a vision for what I want my children to be. You know, when they start to roll their eyes at me, I know, hey, listen, we're starting to make some progress that's now right. because they know what's coming. You really speak in my love language here, Chris, because that's how I feel about our family church mission and vision. Just trying to put it everywhere we can Absolutely. and repeating it so often yep. so that people are just tired of hearing it, people who are around you all the time. But then you have to think about the people who aren't around you all the time. And are they beginning to hear that? Absolutely. Like, is our church hearing that? Is our community hearing that? Do they know who we are as a church or as an organization? So, And also, you talked about just the passion of communicating that, which, I mean, you see that in you. You definitely see that in Pastor Jimmy. I mean, sometimes how you say what you say is more important than what you say. Yeah. And what will happen too is if you're doing a good job with this, you're consistent, you're communicating it all the time, 
you're going to create, and I, I say this in a really complimentary way, you're going to create some nuts, right? Where they're, they're, they're just nuts <laughs> about this idea and be very, very careful because at yeah. all times you've got to be the lead nut in the nut house, right? And yeah. so it recreates this reciprocal energy. Uh, and I've seen this happen both with uh, leading coaches. I've seen it happen leading with student athletes where boy, they just buy in so intensely that it actually challenges me. Holy cow, I better be pushing myself in my passion for this, my commitment to this. I better be holding a super high standard because these people will chase me down. And if you're not the lead nut in the nut house as the leader, as the, as the pastor, uh, whatever it might be, it'll come unraveled on you faster than you could put it back together. So Yeah. And you see, I love seeing it in the Kings Academy athletic department, which you know I benefit from it every day because I had so many of my kids involved there. But like one of the things Coach Allen's the football coach, who, who's one of your colleagues at the King's Academy, he always has this saying, tough people win. Yep. And then he always has this other saying, we win at everything we do. Mm-hmm. Well, if you touch my kids in any direct, they're all going to go, because tough people win and we win at everything <laughs> we do. We win in the classroom, yep. we win in the football field, we win in the practice field, we win at church, we win at home. And so they just think like that yep. and it oozes out of them because they've over-communicated that to an obnoxious and annoying degree. Yep. Yep. But the kids... They think that that's true. And then you do some of the same things, even like what you do with positive touch. We talked about on our last podcast, which is really powerful in my, you've said that out loud and trained your players so well in that. My kids come home around the dinner table and they walk around the dinner table, fist bumping, positive touch, positive touch, positive (laughs) touch. And in a way they're mocking, but the truth is they're doing it. Yeah. And so that shows they hear what you're saying. And, you know, I wonder, Leslie, in church world, because I think pastors, you know, we eat and drink and breathe and sleep this stuff 24-7. Most of the people, the majority of people we interact with are only with us like an hour a week. And then most of them only come two or three times a month. And so we think we're over-communicating and that they've got to be sick of this by now. But the truth is, a very strong attender at Family Church has only heard this three hours a month. Absolutely. And that's the the, mo- the person with the most exposure to the ideas. And so we just need to remember in church world, look, you've got to over-communicate with passion. Mm-hmm. And you better find some things to repeat because mm-hmm. repetition teaches people what you really value. And if you keep thinking, I have to say another creative way to say it and say this in a different creative way, I'm all for creativity, but I'm almost, I've, maybe I'm just getting older and crotchety, but I just think that the older I get and the longer I do this, actually, the more predictable and the more repetitive you are, the more people get the message. Yeah. Yeah. And so, especially in regards to that line of this passionate repetition One of the things, a little side note would be for all of our leaders out there, you are going to have to schedule regular time. I would even dare say daily or weekly to recharge yourself so that you can continue to be the most passionate person about your objectives in your entire group. Uh, Because if you do this, you're going to create some nuts and they're going to go all in with you. (laughs) And you've got to continue to be the lead nut in the nut house. And that's an exhausting thing. So you've got to find ways to reboot yourself. And like I said, I would challenge everyone daily to find some time to reboot yourself emotionally, spiritually, uh, in your personal growth, your professional development, things like that. All right. So here's the thing. You've talked a lot about choosing the right objective, putting that objective at the forefront, uniting people to chase the same objective. But, you know, a lot of times when things get difficult, a lot of leaders begin to question, well, maybe we're chasing the wrong objective. And so because things are difficult, they quickly change objectives. And I think that's probably a huge mistake. Talk to us a little bit about consistent pursuit of the objective, 
even when things get a little bit difficult. Yeah, that's just a great dynamic that leaders need to prepare themselves for. Struggle is a powerful platform. And so if you think about the fact that you're taking your mission or your vision, your objectives, you're putting them on a platform, the struggle that enters into that experience, that dynamic will actually help you validate your mission. Because if you can hold tight to it, and there's minor accommodations you'll make, minor adjustments along the way, absolutely. But if you're wholesale switching your objectives when struggle shows up, you're invalidating the objective. And it's almost a domino effect. You'll probably invalidate the new objective that you haven't even come up with yet <laughs> right, right. because they know. So we all need to remember that, that struggle is a powerful platform to validate our message. And so in regards to that, if you're looking for a little bit of like, if you will, biblical integration or principle on this, the word Nike is present in God's word. And it's the, it's the Greek word for victory. Okay, but the word that's present one time according to Strong's Concordance, but the word, it's a similar word, Nikao, okay, is not victory, but it is the persistent pursuit of until you outlast your opponent. So Nike is one time in God's word, which is victory. But the persistent pursuit of Nikao, I counted up real quick on the my Strong's Concordance apps this morning, 30 times. Right. And so I think the importance for so many of our leaders that may be listening that you know, you have your mountaintop experiences, but for every mountaintop experience, you got 25, 30 dark in the shadow experiences. And that's really where you're doing the work of leading. Uh, and so I would encourage uh, all of our leaders out there, once you really become committed through a lot of preparation, a lot of study, a lot of prayer, that you know what objectives best fit your organization, your church congregation, I would really encourage people, boy, you hold on to them for dear life for an extended period of time because continuity is an undervalued element of leadership. Yeah, so true. And I think this idea of consistently pursuing the objective, because look, the objective for a church is so clearly put out in the scriptures, right? So we're, we're pursuing the great commission, we're pursuing the great commandment. That's what we're doing. So we're trying to love our neighbors and we're trying to love God and then we're trying to make disciples of all nations. But a lot of times I just see churches and we talk and they're like, well, when I started out, I really wanted to have a growing church, but then I figured out that was hard. So I decided to have a, a deep church. So now we're just going to grow deeper because who wants to be, you know, a mile wide and an inch deep. And I'm always thinking like, hey, let's, why don't we try to be a mile wide and a mile deep? You know, why does it have to be either or? And so people are always switching the objective because it gets difficult and boy, I just think this idea, I love what you said about uh, Nike. It's such a powerful concept and it's a scriptural concept. And we see that all the way through the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, especially in the life of Christ. And I think it's so like tempting to look around. I know in churches, it's true in coaching too, Chris, that there's fads. That yeah, fads absolutely. come along. Oh my gosh. Um, so absolutely. in church, we see that a lot. Like there's a lot of fads that come right. along. And so if you're struggling, you think, well, maybe if I become like this person who's successful, or if I dress like this guy who's successful, or communicate like this person. And like you said, Jimmy, there's not consistency. And I do think that's part of our culture here at Family Church is we have this consistent objective that we've continued to pursue. There's some things that come under that objective, like you talked about, Chris, when we were off, when we were on on our voice recording about being multicultural, being multi-generational, being multi-site. Like these are things that we're doing. They're not always easy. 
multi-site isn't easy, multicultural isn't easy, multi-generational isn't easy, but we're going to keep at it. And I'd encourage our listeners, be very, very careful with how you measure your pursuit of that. In athletics, the scoreboard is such a clear, obvious thing. Uh, But again, in that book, The Messiah Method, they talk about their mission for these dynasty soccer programs. And they say, on game night, winning is the point but it's not the purpose. And so as any organization, church is deciding how to evaluate these things. Be very careful using things like how many rear ends are in seats, how many does. If you are chasing objectives that are totally under your control and you're chasing them consistently through struggle, those other things, your scoreboard will really take care of itself. Uh, My experience the last two years leading the boys basketball program here at Kings has been a good example of that where we navigated some struggle first year because I had navigated struggle before. I was pretty confident we're just going to stick with it and it'll all start to come together. And then second year, um, some results started to show up a little bit. And it, a lot of it is because I tell the boys regularly, listen, if you get too enamored with the scoreboard, this will all fall apart. We've got to stay deeply committed to some things that we know the scoreboard will just be a domino effect of. And so I'd encourage leaders on that. Know what the point is but don't let it override the purpose. Uh, that's so powerful too. And I think, Leslie, in church world, I love the idea that the scoreboard is important, but it's not the only measure. You know, the scoreboard is an evaluator. So eventually, if you're a pastor, you do have to somehow, you're going to, giving is important. That's how you fund what you're doing. Attendance is important. It's going to reflect momentum and buy-in. Disciples, new disciples and baptisms are important because it's going to reflect whether or not you're effectively advancing the Great Commission. But if you let any one of those things, especially in a short window, define you or your success, you're probably in for a long, hard life because there's going to be times when the scoreboard doesn't look that great. And you've got to believe that the objectives are still the right objectives. And you may need to adjust the way that you're pursuing the objective, but the objective is still the right right objective. It's so outstanding. Hey, look, this has been incredible. Coach, we've learned so much from you. Thank you for sharing this time with us and investing this time with us. And so we're going to wrap it up. I want our listeners to be sure to tune in next week as we talk about how we implement this coaching leadership style here at Family Church. We lead our teams with player coaches. In the meantime, our listeners can go to sharperconference.com and register for Sharper 2019. I want you to bring your whole team. You can bring volunteers. You can bring staff members. Bring yourself. Bring your spouse. And if you register early, you save money. And look, it doesn't cost that much money anyways. Come to South Florida where it's warm here when it's cold where you are. Come be a part of what we're doing. SharperConference.com. Thank you so much for joining us on today's podcast. I'd love for you to follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Scroggins or check out FamilyChurchNetwork.com to chime in on our blog. We want your feedback on today's podcast. Plus, we want to know what you are doing because we want to learn from you too. Hey, until next time, this is Jimmy Scroggins and you've been listening to Church for the Rest of Us.